0: Hi church, we're reading today from Genesis and from Luke. The first part of the Genesis reading is chapter 1, Genesis 1 verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array moving past creation of adam and eve to genesis 1 genesis 3 verse 1 to 8 now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the lord god had made he said to the woman did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden the woman said to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice."
1: This is the word of the Lord. Hello friends. Uh, It's great to be uh, here with you and I'd like to thank Pete for uh, inviting me to preach and also giving me a passage or a a topic I would never have chosen to preach on. So thanks Pete. I'm just going to get stuck into it. I'll pray first. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for your spirit which you have given us uh, so that we can understand your word. Uh, May you be with me as I preach and with everybody uh, as they listen. uh, And uh, may uh, you reveal yourself in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, we're going to talk about metaphorical horticulture. You may have got the theme from the readings, and we're looking at a range of fruit and and trees. Uh, Of course, I've got three points. We're going to look at three sets of fruit and trees. The fruit of the tree of knowing good and evil will show us the problem of goodness. The parable of good fruit and uh, bad fruit from good and bad trees will present the challenge of goodness, and the fruit of the cross will reveal how goodness is sustained so let 's start with the problem of goodness actually, I think there's two problems: the first one is what is it I mean in school we're told not to use words like good and bad because they're just so vague and and when, I, when Pete gave me the topic, I was like, great. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. So I, I looked up in the term, the Greek term in the dictionary, and it, it seems that this term conveys both an idea of kindness and uprightness. So there's both a relational aspect, how we treat other people, and also an internal quality, uh, having a righteous character. But that really doesn't scratch the surface of goodness. If we view goodness primarily in moral terms, we really uh, drain its color and, and miss the force of what goodness is. So to get a better sense, let's go back to page one of the Bible, where God creates the world. And here, we see God delighting in his handiwork, looking at what he has made and saying, this is very good. In Genesis 1, we see God bringing order out of chaos, separating the light from dark, earth from sea, and then filling the emptiness with inhabitants, lights in the sky, birds in the air, fish in the sea, and animals and humans on the land. So goodness, Genesis 1 type of goodness, is an ordered world of harmony and diversity. It's a world where there's a place for everything, and everything is in its place. And where everything just, you know, works. Have you ever had that feeling where everything goes right for you? That's what goodness is. It's what the English poet Browning expressed in his poem, Pippa's Song. The year's in the spring, all days at the morn, morning's at seven, the hillside dew-pearled, the lark's on the wing, the snail's on the leaf, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. So central to goodness is this idea of aptness or rightness, everything as it should be everything as it was made to be, everything working together to produce something that is greater than the sum of its parts and, and gives glory to God. Goodness is a symphony or a band creating music in which both the musicians and the audience are consumed and raptured by the music. It's a story well told that sparks the imagination of how the world could be, how we could be. It's a glass of water that quenches a a strong thirst. It's an unexpected act of kindness on a difficult day. But clearly, all is not right with the world. Uh, Looking at the world today, a fair judgment would be, while there are many, many individual occasions of goodness, overall, there is a great lack of goodness in this world the news out of Gaza is horrific. And that conflict is perhaps the classic contemporary example of an intractable conflict. How will the bloodshed end? But how could people act so callously? What are they fighting and killing for? So it it brings up the question, how how did Eden become Gaza? Well, I mean, we know the story. We, we heard it read, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were shut out of the garden. It sounds simple, but let's take a closer look at this story of forbidden fruit. I will pick up the story after the snake has spun his lies. And note how the fruit of the tree of knowing good and evil is described. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The fruit was good. It was pleasing. It was desirable. Like all of God's creation, the fruit itself was good. What was not good was contravening God's instructions. And this, this is a reoccurring uh, theme, or, or a pattern in Genesis. Again and again, there are people who seek something that is good, but not theirs to have, and they take or seize it. Pointedly, this good thing that is not theirs that they take is another is often another human being. We see that in the next story in Genesis, in the story of Cain and Abel. We see that with Abraham and Hagar, and with Joseph and his brothers. In all these stories, people see something good that is not theirs to have, and yet they take and seize it. We can sum up the point of this story, perhaps, with the question... Goodness is good for whom? Well, what's the immediate result of eating the fruit? Adam and Eve realized their vulnerability. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. They realized that the other person could be a threat to them, that God could be a threat to them, because in disobeying God, In seeing and taking something good that was not theirs to take, they were redefining goodness on their own terms. Goodness is no longer trusting God, but taking and having the things that we want. And when each person has their own definition of what is good, these definitions inevitably conflict, and we become threats to each other, as we pursue what we define as good. So we we see this dynamic in the housing market at at a house auction. Each home buyer defines the good as owning a particular house, the house that is for sale. But only one buyer can have it, so their definitions conflict with each other's definitions. We manage this conflict through a competition which drives up the price, and this is good for the seller but not good for those who are buying the house or are even locked out of the housing market. So this in short is how Eden became Gaza, when we each have our own definitions of good and fight to enforce them. I was once given a piece of good advice about any conflict. In every disagreement, each person has something important to them that they are defending from a real or perceived threat. Each person has something important to them that they are defending. So to generalize this, we can say at the root of all conflict is disagreement over what is good. The problem of goodness is that we each have our own personal definition of what is good. So if that's the problem of goodness, that the problem of goodness is conflicting definitions of what is good, the solution, well, that could be simple. I could just tell you, obey God. Submit to his definition of what is good. That's easy, straightforward. There's a couple of problems with that. We often don't know what God wants. And when we do, we quite frequently don't want what God wants. So let's spend some time grappling with this challenge of goodness, the challenge to submit to God's definition of good. So to do this, let's turn to the parable of the fruit of the good and bad trees. Again, it's a reasonably straightforward parable. Just as fruit is found on fruit trees, not weeds, so people's behaviour comes out of who they are, their attitudes and desires. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Our actions display the dispositions of our hearts. So our actions express our character. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. If you want to know what someone's like, look at how they treat others, particularly those below them in the pecking order waiters, children, the homeless. Now comes the challenging bit. Character, where does that come from? Well, character expresses attachment. That is, our characters are formed by the things we desire, the things we commit ourselves to. In a very real way, we become what we love. And that's the challenge that Jesus has at the end of this parable. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. There's no point claiming my allegiance, Jesus says, if you are not actually committed to me, if you do not actually love me and follow what I say. So the immediate questions that arise are, what is it then that we love? What are the things that we are committed to seeking? What are the things, the good things, that we see and want to have? Now I could spend the rest of this sermon talking about uh, identifying our personal idols uh, and encouraging you to love God with your heart, soul, strength and, and mind but you've already heard that sermon. I mean, I know I've preached that sermon. So let me ask uh, some questions, because I know you're going to ask me questions. I have the microphone now, and I'm going to ask you some questions. What is a good church? What would Inner West look like if we made goodness a core distinctive of who we are? For just as the fruit, good and bad, each of us produces reveals our personal character, the fruit, good and bad, that Inner West produces reveals the character and commitment of this church. What is Inner West's fruit? Are we a fruitful church? What does the fruit of this church reveal about the things that we're committed to? What are we striving after as a church? So I I invite you to imagine what would a church that was characterized by the fruits of the Spirit look like? What would a loving church look like? A joyful church, a peaceful church? A patient, kind and good church? One that is known to be faithful, gentle, and measured. Indeed, this is the standard that Jesus applies. This is what he said we would be known for. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Again, the fruit that we bear as a church reveals who we actually belong to. So this is a very high standard and one that Christians and the church has often spectacularly failed to meet. So how do we become more and more a church that is known for its love, for its commitment to Jesus, to one another, and to our neighbours? Now some of you might be thinking, these are not questions for me, these are questions for the church leadership. This is questions for Pete. I don't set the directions or make the decisions around Inner West. But the ministry of uh, Inner West, the ministry of any church, is not the responsibility of its staff. It's not the responsibility of Pete, Catherine, and John. It's ours. Their job is to equip us to do the work that God has prepared for us to do. So they equip us. And we go out and do the work to worship, to spare one another along in discipleship, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, and to serve one another and our neighbours. The challenge of goodness, then, is the challenge to examine ourselves as a church for the things that are hindering us from becoming more and more a thoroughly good and fruitful church. There's four, I thought of four things that uh, impede fruitfulness as a church. Disunity, disorder, distress and distraction. So disunity impedes us sitting up and following a direction. Earlier I suggested that the root of conflict is disagreement over what is good. And this can play out in two ways. Uh, Because conflict is not always caused by someone doing the wrong or pursuing the wrong thing. Conflict can also arise when everybody wants good things, but different good things. Disunity then can simply stem from people in church or in MCs striving after different goals, having different mission focuses or ways of serving God that we are particularly passionate about. Disorder comes when we've settled on a common direction, when we've decided what we want to do, but we're not organising ourselves to do it. Well, we've organised ourselves and not everybody is uh, coming together, not everyone is doing what they say they're going to do. These two give rise rise to the third obstacle, distress. Just as pain is a sign that something isn't working in the body, distress is a signal that something isn't right in the church. This could be caused by disagreement or disorder, or because someone inside or outside the church is behaving badly and hurting others. Last week, uh, someone asked how to overcome being treated unkindly over a long period of time. And I won't speak directly to that now, except to say that God gives us one another to bear each other's burdens. So we need to have a culture of being honest with one another about how we're going and to nurture a few close friendships where we can open up On the flip side, we need to learn how to be safe people, people that others can confide in, people who are ready to listen and to grieve with those who are hurting. The last obstacle is perhaps the most common and perhaps the most excusable. We all live busy lives. Our society demands that we work hard and play hard. I mean, that's what fuels the economy. We work to produce stuff, then we play and consume stuff. So it is really easy to become distracted by the pressures and temptations around us. I mean, I know as someone with limited energy uh, the challenge of working out where to spend my energy. And I have to always remind myself that if I spend my energy on this activity on Saturday or on Tuesday morning, I won't have the energy to be present Uh, when I come to church on a Sunday, or MC on Tuesday night. But it's so easy to forget that if I spend, invest my energy in one activity, I won't have it for another. I guess this gets back to disorder, that we need to organise ourselves and plan ahead. If we don't schedule into our lives worship, mission, service, and rest, we'll find that they're squeezed out of our lives. Before I turn to my final point, let me touch briefly on what feeds disunity, disorder, distress and distraction. What bad fruit do you need to prune from your life so the inner west can be more fruitful? Do you need to cut off at the stem the bad fruit of reputation, of trying to appear a good Christian, or well thought out, or compassionate, or whatever it is, when actually you're hiding your mess from your brothers and sisters, who God gives to you to help you clean up and to become fruitful? Perhaps you need to lop off self-righteousness, Judging others for what they're doing or not doing at church. Instead of focusing on how you can encourage and equip them. Or is it self-reliance that you need to prune? So that you can let other people into your life and have the reserves to spend on your neighbours. But pruning is only half of what we need to do. Bad fruit will just keep regrowing if we don't tackle what's feeding them. And we're not even going to pick up the secateurs to do the painful work of pruning if we don't want to do it or if we don't actually trust that good fruit will grow in the place of bad. I've had a few conversations with friends recently who are really quite despondent over the state of their hearts, and they're depressed because they keep going back to the same sins. As much as they try and pluck them out, they come back. So my last point is that since we become what we love, to bear good fruit, we need to feed on and be nourished by good fruit. We need a diet of spiritual fruit, not fruit Loops. We need to ensure that we have a healthy spiritual diet, cutting out junk food and feasting on food that is actually nourishing. There are some spiritual practices and resources that produce a sugar high, a rush, but don't produce lasting fruit. And of course, we're surrounded by media and entertainment that contains much junk that feeds bad fruit. So we need to be wise in what we occupy our hearts and minds with and how we go about praising God and encouraging one another. To be a truly fruitful church, we must be sustained by the fruit of the cross because it is is in going to Jesus that we find transformative nourishing, sustenance for goodness. Because the fruit of the cross is first the surprising definition of goodness that is revealed in Jesus. And it's the manifold riches that flow from his life, death, resurrection and exaltation. The definition of goodness revealed in Christ is the perfect, putting aside his own good for the good of others. It's the creator dying for the good of his creatures who have rejected him and who kill him. Goodness, in the end, is not endangered by evil. Evil is destroyed by goodness. We're reminded of this in, when we take communion we're reminded to feed on Christ. What does it mean? It's a strange expression, to feed on Christ. Well, part of it, I think, is the uh, idea of feeding on the riches that flow from his sacrifice. It's to be reminded that God chose to identify with us in becoming human and in redeeming us in Jesus' death, that we may, in Christ, Belong to him. And if we choose to give our lives, our bad trees that bear bad fruit, over to Jesus to be put to death, then he will grow, replace that with good fruit. These are the riches of the fruit of the cross to belong to Jesus, to know the Father's love for us, and to be transformed into fruitful, productive trees. In belonging to Christ, being grafted into the living vine and knowing God loves us and that by his spirit he is at work within us. When we know this, that's when we can pick up the secateurs. That's when we can bear the pain of pruning and choose to embrace God's definition of goodness. As Pete said at the start of the sermon, today is Pentecost, the day on which God sent his spirit to live within and among Jesus' disciples. And it's the work of the spirit to draw attention to the bad fruit in our lives, to comfort us in the pain of pruning, and to nourish our good fruit. For we were in the period of the now and the not yet, Our bad trees are dying and our good trees or to be more accurate, Christ in us, his perfect tree, the living vine, that's just starting to put out new shoots. It's it's a bit like um, the phenomenon of long COVID or perhaps the post-viral fatigue syndrome, that after an illness, there's still quite a period of recovery. We're not yet healthy, even if the illness is over. The sustenance of goodness, then, is being nourished by the Spirit. It's the Spirit that assures us we belong to Christ, that makes real to us the fruits of the cross and empowers us to choose God's definition of goodness. And it's through the Spirit that the Church equips us to go out to be Christian doctors, teachers, lawyers, parents, neighbours, working uh, to restore creation, to partner with God in the restoration of creation to a state that is very good, one where everyone has their place and everything just works. Now we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is not a force, it's a person. It's the powerful personal presence of God. So it's not just like tapping into a power line and being energized. To be empowered by the Spirit, we must relate to the Spirit. We must pray and live lives of prayer. It's in talking to God and listening to Him, individually and as a church. It's in doing this that we will find unity, order, comfort. And self-control. It's in prayer, it's prayer that will enable us as a church to be fruitful, to display the fruits of the Spirit and nurture their growth in the world. So let's make prayer central to the life of Inner West. This will not merely empower us, but it's the key to joy too. As the Psalms say, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your bountiful goodness to us. Thank you for your goodness in Christ that you have made us to be your sons and daughters and that you have given us each other. You have given us the church where we can uh, encourage one another, spur each other on. I pray that you would be at work within Inner West, that you would be growing the fruit of the Spirit in this church. Give us a spirit of unity, of order, of comfort, and of a measured, a gentle self-control. I pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, so far, there's been one question. Uh, another one's just come in. So, uh, the first question is about how do you balance uh, your energy uh, or your focus in serving others and working on yourself and your own sin and idolatry? And I think my my main response to that is it's something. Both of those things are not things that you do alone. It's things that you bring others into. Um, And it will change. Sometimes you will need to work more on yourself. Sometimes uh, you will be freed up uh, to work more on others. The other thing I would say is um, uh, habits trump goals. So I think it's uh, important to uh, set a good routine or build good habits into your life so I would encourage you to uh, continue to build in the means of grace or the spiritual disciplines into your day, into your week because it's uh, in those uh, that you will receive the grace uh, to deal with your own mess. Um, And then also build in meeting with others and working together. Because that's, I mean, how we serve each other um, is is doing that together. So yeah, again, the the two things would be yeah, work with others, don't do it alone, uh, and focus on building routines where you include rest and where you include rest and working on yourself, but also working uh, with others to serve others. Yeah, another great question. So how could we practically draw on Christ's goodness as we wrestle with the various good things and priorities in MC life? Uh, Well, a good place to start would be looking at what Jesus' priorities are and how he uh, modelled mission. I'm reminded of uh, Mary and Martha, in in that um, he said that the the best choice was sitting and learning from him. So, uh, yeah, we can practically draw on Christ's goodness by ensuring that we sit under the word and we sit under his teachings. Um, And I think if we do that... uh, we will be transformed and our priorities will be aligned uh, with God's. thank you for the questions. If you have any more or want to come back at me, I'm happy to uh, talk to you after the service or you can continue to text me, I will respond.